Georgia Simmons the founder of Greedy Vegan and welcome back to another episode of Catch-Ups in My Kitchen. This podcast is about all things food, plant-based food, non-plant-based food and everything in between. This podcast aims to discover people's food journeys and stories because whether you are a professional in sport, work in beauty or the food industry itself, everyone's got a story to tell. This podcast means so much to me and Greedy Vegan. So if you do enjoy this episode, please, please like, share and subscribe. I hope you're hungry as there is a lot cooking in this conversation. This week, I am so, so, so honoured to be joined by the co-founder of Oddbox, which if you haven't heard of Oddbox, it is a fruit and veg delivery box which fights food waste by saving wonky or surplus vegetables which don't make it to the supermarkets. The co-founder Emily highlights in this episode the extent of which how much is wasted and also how much food waste affects climate change and affects the greenhouse gases. Emily also reflects on the Oddbox journey to date which has been super interesting, bearing in mind they've only been running for six years. This is such an amazing company and I really think you're going to love this one. So let's jump straight in. So I'm very honoured to be sat here today with Emily, the founder or co-founder, should I say, of Oddbox. So firstly, do you mind giving us a 30 second elevator pitch on who you are and what you do? Yeah. So, uh, as you mentioned, Georgia, I'm uh, Emily. I'm co-founder of Oddbox. My background is actually not at all in fresh produce. I've got a background in finance. And just before Oddbox, I actually worked in the charity sector because I wanted to, uh, like a lot of us, have a bigger impact uh, on the world and kind of make a bigger contribution. And so, uh, Oddbox is, um, so our whole ethos is around tackling food waste primarily early in the chain. So, uh, what we say, uh, pre-farm gates or at farm level and actually showing that um, there's a lot of produce which is grown in excess or don't need supermarket specification and that they are still perfectly good quality and that there's no reason why um, this should end up in landfill, stay on the field or just go for juicing or processing. Mm. It's so it's a crazy concept that so much gets wasted and we're going to go on to that in more detail but a ritual that I always do on this podcast is I have a few quick fire questions all about food just to get to know you as a person a bit more so sweet or savory savory pizza or pasta pasta juicy burger or overloaded salad that's a tough one I would say salad yeah I would cook in or eat out eat out Rice or noodles? Noodles. And what is your favourite delivery? Um, anything Thai. So yeah. I love Thai food. Thai is a good one. I love Thai also. So obviously we all hear kind of as consumers that there's a lot of uh, wasted vegetables and wonky fruit and veg that go into a lot of products like dash water and yeah. chickpea hummus and all of that. So could you kind of explain or share with us the extent of how much of the fruit and vegetable is wonky or is potentially, or other than 
you guys saving it is going to be wasted. Yep. So actually, the, 10 years ago, the uh, FAO, with, which is the, um, the American Food uh, Agricultural Board, uh, actually uh, looked at the issue and said 30% of the food we produce is wasted globally. WWF did a report last year, which actually showcased that it's closer to 40%. So a huge proportion, proportion of the food we grow actually never reaches uh, us as consumers. And that's a lot of resources which are wasted. Um, so food waste contributes to 10% of the uh, greenhouse gases, and it's actually the number one addressable issue towards climate change. And a lot of people don't know that. Wow. So 40% of fruit and vegetable is wasted before it even leaves the farm. Fruit and vegetables are higher of the overall food we grow. Oh my gosh, that is crazy. That is crazy. So... And then what about when it, so let's say it's past the farmer's kind of guideline or like they've accepted it. Does, do supermarkets also waste things before they even put it in the store? So supermarkets actually don't waste a lot. So okay. there's, uh, because they work with, uh, with growers on quite a flexible basis. They, uh, there's no agreement in terms of how much they are going to take on a daily basis. Uh, and, Plus, also growers wouldn't want that because they don't necessarily know exactly how much is going to be grown. And mm. consumer behaviors change a lot. When it's warm, people want more salads. When it's cold, people want more root veg and things they can cook. So there's a lot of fluctuation in what um, the stores want to put on the shelf. Mm, okay. And so in terms of what's actually wasted in store, it's only around 1% to 2% of the food which is wasted in store. There's a lot. So then 50% is in people's home. So as consumers, we buy a lot and then we waste a lot. And 50% is before that. Okay, wow. So when it's wasted before it even leaves the farms... Is this because of the size, the colour? Is this why it's wasted? Because it doesn't meet the requirements? So there's a proportion which is uh, about that. And actually quite often it's not even really wonky. It's just uh, slightly too big, too small, uh, small cosmetic imperfection. So for example, we had some apples which had been... At the, so there's, there was hailstorm which... Uh, damage the apple, the skin of the apple when the, the apples were tiny and so when they grew the, you could still see some markings on the skin of the apple the, the quality was perfectly fine but it didn't look, it didn't look great and so um, uh, another example when I visited a grapes grower or kind of a, um, a grapes importer in Kent they were saying that in the UK we like the uh, green grapes really green but in mainland Europe um, people will eat them slightly more yellow because they are sweeter mm. so there's uh, some kind of uh, actually we've been used in the UK to eat, looking at them green and thinking that they are fresher when they are green when actually um, in mainland Europe uh, people don't want them green because they will be uh, a bit more acidic okay so interesting so interesting so 10% of food waste contributes so contributes to so food waste contributes to 10% of the greenhouse of the gases. Greenhouse gases. Yeah. That is a lot. Yeah. 
And people don't really realize that. People don't know. So actually, people are aware of uh, plastic, uh, plastic mm-hmm. waste and plastic pollution. But in terms of the impact on the climate, food waste has a much higher impact. So uh, one kilo of food ending up in landfill is the equivalent of 25,000 bottles, plastic bottles going to landfill in terms of CO2. So plastic has other issues because there's, uh, it pollutes our oceans, fish will eat the plastic, so there's other consequences. But if we think about um, the climate change and the impact uh, on, the, on the climate and the temperature, food waste has a much bigger impact. Wow, God, that is crazy. And people definitely don't realize that. No. So, so there's been some surveys saying that only 10, 30% of people realize the impact of the, the link between food waste and climate change. Gosh, yeah, that is amazing. So it kind of came to your attention that there was a lot of fruit and veg going to waste. Yeah. So your husband and yourself decided to try and battle this or try and solve it or make a change. That is a really big task. Were you not really overwhelmed by the, the scale of the issue and how how did you go about trying to, to start Oddbox? Because, you know, this is a huge global issue, not even national. And, you know, even thinking about trying to make a difference must be a huge yeah, a huge task. So how did you go about it? Yeah, so initially we didn't kind of so we uh so the idea of Hotbox came... So actually, my grandparents were potato farmers on both sides, but actually didn't know about the extent of waste and the fact that it was such an issue in the produce sector. Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, so I came to the UK uh, 10 years ago, and uh, actually coming from abroad, you realize that in the UK, it's amazing. You can get everything available all year round, but there's... Everything is packaged. A lot of the produce are imported. And actually, strawberries in the winter don't necessarily uh, t- taste uh, that great. So it's much better to eat strawberries right now in uh, in June when they are actually uh, UK-grown and uh, you can go pick them uh, yourself at the farm. Yeah. Um, and then we went on holidays to Portugal. And that kind of... Uh, there, you uh, we were going to the local market to get our produce and there were a lot of fruit and veg and some tomatoes which were uh, really really wonky but tasted amazing and that's when we started looking into the issue and kind of question why we didn't find this type of produce in the UK and uh, so initially we started our box uh, as a bit of a a weekend project so uh, we uh, we discovered two startups in the US who had started something similar and we thought that's a brilliant idea. Um, We wanted to uh, uh, buy from such a company in the UK. There was no such company. So we thought uh, maybe there's an opportunity because if we're happy to buy produce which don't necessarily look great but taste are actually really good eating quality, then there's probably other people. So we started in our neighborhood uh, distributed a few flyers. Um, we, I, um, I contacted uh, growers directly. I got a lot of no's. Uh, and 
because uh, first of all we didn't know anything about produce all the growers are based not in London but outside of London I thought they would be able to send us a few cases of of apples of potatoes and for them they just grow they don't manage the logistics so uh, uh, we would have had to go directly to several different growers growers are specialized so they don't grow everything uh, and there's different growing regions. So initially, when we started, we were working with a, a grower who also had, who was also a, a wholesaler at the New Covent Garden Market. Okay. And so we would go uh, get the produce on Friday overnight because the wholesale market only uh, opens from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. Um, mm. We would then uh, pack the, a few boxes and deliver to. Uh, so initially, we did a trial with 20 customers. Wow. Amazing. I mean, there's so much in there to kind of unpack. I mean, it's crazy that you had no kind of produce background. Obviously, your your family were potato growers, but, you know, to try and tackle this without kind of realizing or knowing how it all worked is really amazing as well. I, I think in some ways, uh, that's why we challenged the way it was being done, because yeah. you don't know what you don't know. So yeah. we kind of thought uh, there's uh, there's a lot of stats saying there's a lot of produce which don't reach uh, consumers. There's a lot of there's uh, supermarket specification. The small ones, the big ones, uh, don't make it into the store. So our idea was uh, let's just uh, therefore uh, buy these small ones, big ones, put them in the box, and uh, deliver them to people. And actually for us. Uh, the idea of the box um, was felt like the perfect solution because we could actually showcase that there was nothing wrong with the produce. So uh, instead of converting them, we had that opportunity to educate people around what's happening in the produce industry. And that's been a big part of, um, uh, we feel, why people kind of are on this journey with us, why we've got such a strong community, because it's always been about sharing what we're learning. And I guess uh, people love to uh, learn more about the complexity of the uh, of where they, uh, their food comes from. So true, so true. And I think, you know, when I, I mean, I am a big odd box customer myself, and I know when I receive, for example, aubergine, and it's like basically a round circle, it's so like misshaped. I'm always like to my housemate, like, look at this. She's like, what is it? I was like, it's an aubergine. Like, we are learning that, yeah. it, you know, it's not the perfect shape. And we, it is really fun to be a part of that journey with you guys and see how it all actually is in the world. So you started with your 20 customers yeah. and you were getting all your, your produce from the, the market. How did it then grow from there? So obviously you, it was working and the people, it was you know, with, 20 customers, with 20 but, customers yeah, but, yeah, but, then... but, but at the start it was it was really tough so we started in uh, mid 2016 by the end of 2016 we had uh, 50 customers wow uh, and so uh, in six months uh, we lost a lot of customers and we gained uh, some customers so uh, it it wasn't easy, um, but also uh, we were quite clear that uh, working with the wholesaler wasn't something that we wanted to do for the long term. So we started again reaching out 
to growers directly and uh, trying to schedule meetings, trying to convince them to give, give us a chance. And that took uh, uh, quite a, a long time. And because we didn't know anything about produce, uh, sometimes the quality wasn't up to, up to scratch. So we had to kind of uh, learn actually um, how to communicate what we wanted and uh, make sure that the growers were not just sending us anything they had, um, they had as surplus or had, as misshapen. Mm-hmm. And guess you had to build those relationships yeah. and that, that does take time, I guess. Yeah. And were you doing all of this from home or did you have a somewhere you were doing it from? And my other part to this question is, was this still a weekend thing or when did it switch to being, okay, we're on to something, this is now full time? Yeah, so um, so initially we were actually uh, uh, doing everything from home and then uh, uh, we reached out to a few community churches in our area and we got lucky that uh, there's a community church on our street who said you actually can use the space um, on uh, from Friday night to Saturday morning. So we were parking there and then um, after six months we moved to a shared warehouse with uh, a few uh, with a, a few other food startups um, and we were utilizing that uh, on Friday night uh, and then moved to our own where also there were a few different steps mm-hmm. okay and in terms of your the second part of your question so um, uh, my husband had quit his job he was in banking he, he had decided that he wanted to do something else so he actually uh, had started um, uh, doing um, sports coaching and um, and trying to kind of encourage people to exercise more. So he had started something slightly different, and I had started hot box. Um, I was still working full time, and so he was helping me a bit, and then a bit more, and a bit more. So we didn't uh, set up to start hot box together, but it kind of just happened. And because it's quite heavy in logistics and he had more time than me, then he got more and more involved. Okay, amazing. So you were doing it whilst working full time for quite a while? Yeah, for one and a half year. Wow, because I guess you were, you were doing it all on a Friday night. Yeah, so actually after finishing work, uh, I would go to the warehouse, we would pack. So initially we were packing the boxes on the Saturday morning. As we grew our customer base, it was there was not enough time to pack and then deliver. So then we were packing from uh, 6 p.m. on Friday till uh, midnight, one in the morning. And then um, that's when the delivery started to happen overnight. It, initially it was in early morning on Saturday. And then we found some drivers who were uh, who had their own vans, who were delivering for other companies and were happy to uh, do extra work and would deliver the boxes overnight. And for us as well, kind of, um, it was better because there's less traffic overnight. That means less uh, pollution because yeah. the vans stop less. And mm-hmm. we've always uh, so we've always targeted areas so we optimize our routes so that we make sure that we don't have vans which go from North London to South London. So mm-hmm. uh, it's quite dense in terms of their delivery area. Yeah, I think the overnight deliveries is such a good idea. I mean, I know I said to you earlier that when it's my odd box delivery day, I open my front door and I see the box. It's like Christmas. It's so yeah. exciting. And you guys send an email where it's like, you know, a picture of the box outside the door. And I love seeing the time. It's like 
3 a.m. And I'm like, I can just imagine the delivery driver just outside delivering it. It's so great. But yeah, it also, you get the job done quicker and yeah, less pollution, which is really great. So obviously you've tackled or you're tackling the waste from one side of the chain at the beginning. Have you thought about, I'm sure you have, but what are your thoughts on the other side? So obviously as consumers, as you mentioned, we buy lots but then we waste lots. Yep. So especially with fruit and veg, I mean, I know I speak to a lot of people about different ways you can use it up and like mm. soups and dips and freeze and all sorts. But is there a big statistic for the amount we waste as consumers? And is there anything that you guys have thought about or would you ever think about doing anything for that end? So... So one thing that we're doing and we're always very conscious about is we don't want to uh, pass waste from farm to home. Yeah. And that's the reason uh, why we've always... So our boxes are not very flexible. The only thing which is flexible is that people can tell us if there's something that they don't want in their box. And that was the idea uh, behind allowing people to uh, mention their dislikes, that we didn't want to send anything that we knew people would waste. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, our letter, in the letters that we put in the box, in uh, the emails that we send, we provide a lot of recipes. We try to provide tips. We uh, tell people things which will be uh, ripe and ready and things which will take a bit longer so we're trying as much as we can to kind of give tips on how to keep things fresher for longer mm-hmm. um, we've partnered with uh, startups like olio who actually if you know that there are things that you're not going to uh, eat you can use the olio app to donate the produce uh, and uh, it's really easy I use it uh, quite regularly when I've got things that uh, I know I'm not going to use Um, and uh, in five minutes uh, you've got people who can uh, offer to come and pick up uh, any uh, any surplus food and actually they they do other things beyond food as well oh that's really good I have actually yeah you you guys do give good uh, leaflets in the boxes but I also noticed that you like to keep what you put in the boxes to a minimum yeah. i guess for again for waste for co2 for emissions yeah. and paper is that is that right yeah and so um, we had a lot of debate around plastic and whether we include produce uh, wrapped it in plastic or not and um, as much as we can we uh, tell the growers uh, not to send, not to pack anything for us. So uh, the potatoes arrive in crates and then we put them directly in the boxes. Sometimes we'll bag things in paper bags just to make sure that uh, it arrives in a good state. Um, and when it's through the transport um, for leafy greens um, and things like that, actually, uh, we will. It will come in plastic. Because uh, for us, it's about uh, actually uh, not wasting the food. And we know that uh, uh, you just can't put uh, uh, salads in paper bags. Yeah, I guess it's a balance, isn't it? Yeah. Like you want to try and obviously minimize plastic, but if yes. it's going to then jeopardize the food, then yeah. yeah then it's not great. So, it's, so you're right. It's that balance of uh, uh, plastic was invented for a reason because it helps extend the shelf life, mm. but we're over-abusing 
plastic. So we are trying to kind of uh, reduce it to the minimum, but we still see uh, the value that plastic can bring in minimizing food waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So as of 2020, you guys were a B Corp company, which is yeah. very amazing. So well done for that. Could you explain a bit about what B Corp means for those who listening who don't know? Yeah, so uh, B Corp is a commitment to uh, people, the planet, and balance with profit. So actually, um, they are an independent organization who will um, do an audit of a company's practices and score a company on several different criteria. Um, so environmental impact around how they treat their people, around they look at diversity, um, they look at governance. And so uh, a company commits in their article of association, so in their uh, incorporation documents, to uh, not only focus on profit, but also look out uh, for their people and for the planet. And so it's quite um, uh, an intense process with a questionnaire of, uh, I think, 250 questions to fill, uh, documents to be provided. And it's not just a one-off certification. Um, any BCOP need to be recertified every three years. And uh, any BCOP commits to looking to improve on their previous score. So it's a continuous process of uh, actually uh, trying to improve on the score. And for us, um, we felt that we were already doing quite a few things right, but there's a lot of greenwashing. And so uh, B Corp is a good way to say uh, we're, it's not, it's, we're not just talking about uh, or shouting about what we do. There's actually somebody external who's validated that uh, our actions, uh, that we act uh, on mm-hmm. what we talk about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the pressure's on now because, like, yeah, yeah you, they're watching you. But no, yeah. you guys, I mean, just what we've already mentioned, you guys are doing so much. And I did have a look at your website and it says that you have saved 12,230 tonnes of CO2 and 1,222 million litres of water. Yeah. I mean, these are crazy figures. Mm-hmm. So can you explain how how you've done this? So... We calculate that on the basis of the resources it takes to grow the produce that we're saving. So, for example, uh, it takes 300 liters of water to grow one kilo of potatoes. That's how much. And therefore, when you waste one kilo of potato, that's all of the water which has gone into growing the potatoes, which in some ways is being wasted. And for us, that's uh, what we felt is quite powerful in communicating that as a consumer, uh, by not wasting, you're actually preserving the resources. And we know that uh, the resources that we have are not infinite. And uh, actually, we're consuming uh, two to three Earths uh, worth of resources so the way we live and eat is just not sustainable Mm. so the first thing uh, you can do uh, the easiest thing to do is actually not to waste uh, what you buy yeah so not only are you wasting one potato which you might just think oh it's only a potato to get that potato has got all these resources so that yeah hence the damage it does to the environment and climate change yep and actually uh, we know that there's a lot of food poverty and we've uh, we can solve food poverty by uh, solving food waste so we don't need to produce more to feed 
all the people in the world. We just need to uh, actually not waste anything. There's enough food being grown for everyone. Yeah. And is there anything that you guys do as a business um, with any leftovers? So do you work it out so it's perfectly distributed amongst all the customers? Or is there a time when you have leftovers? And if so, where do those leftovers go? Yes, so we've, from the start, we've always had a bit uh, of surplus ourselves. And obviously, it didn't feel right to, uh, yeah. <laughs> for us to kind of waste anything. Um, and so we've, uh, from actually the really start, we've been working with uh, City Harvest, the Felix Foundation. Uh, we now work with Fair Share and we uh, redistribute. So they come and collect any of the produce that we have and distribute that to uh, soup kitchens and food banks. And so, uh, and we see that as a partnership where it's not uh, we're not doing charity actually they help us solve an issue of we've got surplus and uh, either we can uh, work with them for them to redistribute the, the produce or we could pay the uh, bean collectors uh, to actually uh, take the produce and it just doesn't feel right uh, for that uh, to end up in the bin yeah definitely especially after you've worked so hard to get it to yeah. you it doesn't make sense yeah. to then throw it yeah that makes so much sense so one of my favorite things about Oddbox as well as not only are you saving um, vegetables and fruit but also you're eating seasonally yeah. so everyone always talks about at the moment oh, eat seasonal it's better for you the environment it tastes better and with you guys obviously we're eating produce from the UK which is in season so we're naturally eating seasonally so could you kind of talk about why eating seasonally is really good and why we should try and look at the if we are shopping in supermarkets look at the origin of um, fruit and vegetables can you explain a bit about why that's so important so first of all in in terms of taste anything which is in season uh, tastes better Um, and obviously, in terms of the carbon footprint, if it's grown in season, it's a lot less carbon intensive. So uh, eating tomatoes. Uh, so, however, uh, local don't always mean uh, better uh, in terms of carbon footprint because it's actually better to eat tomatoes from Spain than eat tomatoes who have been grown in the UK in a glass house because a glass house requires a lot of energy, whilst in Spain they would have been grown outdoors. So there's kind of, so seasonal uh, is better. There's different, so it's seasonal in different places at different times. Um, uh, if eating kind of beetroots, potatoes, carrots, cabbage uh, during the winter in the UK is better because there's less um, uh, less road miles as well. Um, and it's supporting uh, the UK growers. Uh, however, eating tomatoes in uh, in winter from the UK uh, is not necessarily great. Okay, that's so interesting. I didn't know that actually. So basically, you've got to do your education. You've got to do your do the research and yeah. work out what, what's what's good and what's yeah. not. And it and it's quite fascinating actually uh, to uh, uh, because we food is part of our daily life, but we don't know much. Uh, about food we don't know about the challenges we don't know about how the weather uh, impacts uh, the food uh, which is being grown and impacts the growers Uh, so there's uh, 
there's always challenges with the weather. It's never the right weather. And actually, now we're a lot more aware uh, about that. Um, uh, it requires a lot of labor to harvest the food that we eat. And uh, there's challenges right now with uh, seasonal labor. And uh, one of our growers was saying that, uh, so in the past, uh, they would get labor from uh, Spain, Portugal, Italy. Then it moved to uh, East Europe. And now uh, it's becoming more challenging to get labor from East Europe. So they are getting uh, seasonal labor from uh, Asia, so from uh, Turkmenistan, uh, Afghanistan, so all these countries um, uh, ending, ending in Han, so um, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, and they are, they are actually uh, uh, air freighting um, seasonal labor to come and work on UK farms. Wow, I didn't realize that. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of the issues with labor in general and how it these people are really struggling, but I didn't realise they were getting them from those countries. Yeah. That is really interesting. And is the weather, obviously we're all aware of climate change, is the weather really affecting farmers in the UK at the moment, or is everything okay at the moment, or are they noticing fluctuations in their produce? Yes, there's a, more, there's a lot more fluctuations, so there's, uh, there's, it's a lot more inconsistent than what it was in the past. Uh, seasons are changing. Um, there's floods more, uh, which happen more often. So uh, there's uh, it's warmer than it was in the past. So the kind of uh, the UK season is shifting a bit. Mm, yeah, and I guess this is kind of where you guys come in more and more, whilst people understand the transition that the the fruit and vegetables may have some more varieties now because of the seasonal changes. I'm guessing you guys are used even more to kind of be the middle ground before people understand the changes yeah. more and more. Yeah, and I think it's quite important that uh, actually people uh, understand a bit more about that. People realize the true value of the food they eat, uh, how much resources it takes to grow because the price that we currently pay for the food don't really reflect all the resources and the damage that uh, we are doing to the environment. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy that we're not taught this at school. I mean, we all eat food three or maybe even more than three times a day and yet people don't know where their food comes from, what goes into the food. So yeah, education, I think, needs to be better around this topic for sure so you guys have now been going on well going for six years and you've done so much in six years what's next for oddbox where is this going to go so uh, so for us it's so uh, as i mentioned we started in london so uh, we've always had kind of, uh, people outside of london who uh, had heard about oddbox so uh, a big focus was how do we expand to uh, other places in the UK. We now cover 75% of the UK. So uh, there's still, we expanded to Scotland uh, a month ago. So there's still uh, more we can do in terms of expansion. Um, currently, uh, people who buy Outbox uh, uh, love the challenge of cooking. Uh, but quite often, uh, people who buy Outbox are quite... Uh, uh, good cooks, so confident cooks. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's how we adjust our proposition um, to uh, help people who are slightly less confident cooks because sometimes receiving, receiving a big cabbage uh, when you've never cooked cabbage can be uh, a bit of a challenge. So it's about how can we bring a bit more flexibility into our box still um, being within our ethos of 
uh, nobody grows for us. We only take things which are odd and surplus at risk of going to waste, but we've got access to a lot of produce. So can we um, uh, help people with uh, actually customizing their box a bit more, offering more, uh, offering uh, different things. So, uh, and we're also looking at uh, partnering with other brands that we can offer um, uh, things like uh, dash water, uh, rubies. So uh, more things made with uh, odd and surplus produce. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, yeah, you're definitely right about the confident cook thing. I mean, I love cooking and for me it's perfect and it's a real challenge and I love that. But I can imagine if your cooking isn't your favourite thing in the world yeah. and you don't enjoy it as much as others, it must be a bit of a challenge. Yeah. When you're, even sometimes I think, oh, cabbage, mm, what am I going to do with it yeah. today? You know, but um, I love the challenge. But yeah, I guess customization would be really, really cool. So... There are there are two of you in this journey, yep. and it's your husband. So I'm really fascinated in how it works with the two of you. Like how how do you not let the odd box conversation come into home life? Oh, how it comes into home all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. I mean, I don't know how you would split that up, but how do you do that? And also, what's your part and what's his part? Where's the split? Yep. So, <laughs> so yes. Uh, We've we've completely abandoned that concept of uh, of work life balance, uh, but it's also because uh, we're actually quite passionate about what we do. So it's it's really difficult not to talk about uh, about that all the time and to say actually uh, after six pm we're just not going to talk about hotbox and uh, and uh, discuss um, the future, discuss the challenges. So uh, yes, that's um, but actually. Uh, it it works so i uh, i i would say um in some ways is the person i trust the most yeah. so uh, uh, sometimes when you've got a co-founder who's uh, who you don't know as well uh, there could be some politics there's uh, things that you uh, need to be careful about saying nothing so there's a bit more of that thinking about um uh, how do I, what's my relationship with the other person whilst uh, uh, with uh, when between husband and wife, uh, hopefully uh, there's less of that uh, because yeah. you've had kind of, uh, a longer relationship. And when you think about it, uh, um, 50 years ago, all businesses were actually family businesses. Yeah. So uh, we all always get asked that question about uh, uh, how is it working together. But I think it's a very recent question that 50 years ago, nobody would have kind of, uh, thought about asking that question. Yeah, very true, actually. Very true. And what's your forte in the business? So we actually have uh, um, quite a similar background in the sense that uh, we both have a finance background uh, initially. Uh, though uh, Deepak worked in banking and uh, um, in IT, so he's got more of a tech focus. I've got more of a financial and operational focus and uh, uh, right now we split our role where uh, I'm a CEO and I kind of lead on anything which is uh, financial, operational, anything related to uh, external 
um, relationship, whether it's uh, more on the PR side or whether it's investors, and uh, is more focused on the customer experience. So we wanted to make sure that as we scale, also we uh, uh, we keep a really, really strong focus on listening to our community and listening to um, how our community wants the Outbox proposition to evolve. Mm. So his, uh, his focus is very much on that. Okay, and you have built a really great community. I mean, that must be really rewarding to see that you really do have a strong community of people who are with you on that journey. It's, yeah, that's a really important part. So talking a little bit about plant-based. Yep. So obviously you obviously produce or get, provide a lot of plants for everyone to eat. Yep. Are you plant-based yourself? Um, how does it work for you guys? Yeah, so I'm uh, 95% plant-based, I would say. So uh, at home, uh, we only cook uh, plant-based. Uh, and uh, um, uh, 10 years ago, uh, that wasn't the case because uh, being French, uh, <laughs> meat and dairy is quite a big part of our lifestyle. Yeah. But then learning more and more about uh, the uh, impact that meat and dairy have, uh, how much resources it takes to uh, actually uh, uh, produce meat and dairy uh, has made us uh, change uh, mm-hmm. the way we, uh, we eat. Okay, and do you eat any of the... Because obviously cheese must be a big part of your diet, or would have been a big part of yep. your diet. Do you eat any cheese alternatives, or have you just found a way to kind of cut it? I do once in a while, but actually uh, I think like uh, quite a few people, there's a bit of uh, questioning around how uh, healthy all the meat alternatives or dairy alternatives are and when you see the list of ingredients uh, that uh, they contain then uh, we're also trying to kind of uh, go back to uh, things which are less processed so uh, pulses um, grains and actually uh, focus on more uh, wholesome food yeah and I completely agree and I mentioned that to you earlier with greedy vegan like that's kind of my focus and I started with a lot of products that were quite processed and I was like this is not what I want to do and not what I believe in so now my my aim is to find these products that are super tasty super delicious but nutritious with clean ingredients so I will give you some parmesan before you leave (laughs) and it is incredible it's like cashew nut nutritional yeast um there's some truffle oil in there as well but it's very nice parmesan alternative oh, so sounds amazing yeah. but I, I think like everything it's a balance so i i think uh it's it's fine to eat a bit of processed food but then uh as long as it's not the majority of, of what you eat definitely definitely you've got to enjoy your life and yeah. be flexible but yeah i think i'm with you i mean i'm plant-based myself and i think it's a great diet to be on it's not for everyone but if you're eating great plants there's a lot that you can do with plants there's loads of vegetables out there as i'm sure you're aware with all the varieties so yeah i think it is a great diet to be on and and i think for us at oddbox it's always been about that actually we uh we want to encourage people to uh, take that small step to do something uh, actually to uh, help the environment uh, to become more sustainable but uh, sometimes it can feel quite overwhelming and so we want Outbox to kind of feel like that small step which can which has uh, quite a big impact and for people to realize that uh, actually even small steps can have a massive impact 
Yeah, so true. And I think it's really important for people to be more creative because I think it's very easy for people to get stuck in that yeah. same routine. And quite of, overwhelmed though. Yeah, and be like, you know, the same food shop, the same vegetables, yeah. they buy X, Y, Z every week and that's it. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. But you only get a certain amount of nutrients from those vegetables. Like plant-based is about eating the rainbow and eating yeah. a variety and getting all those nutrients so I think you guys do really encourage the variety because you receive a variety every week <laughs> or every other week so it's really good to go out your comfort zone and to try and I think unless we don't push people to be out that comfort zone things won't change yeah. so I think although the customization option will be great and definitely need, needed for yeah. people I do think I would definitely not change what I currently receive yeah. because I love the variety the challenge yeah. and it gets you out of your comfort zone for, for us it's actually uh, we feel that in some ways we've got to go where people are and take them on that journey so uh, we feel it's more powerful if we offer them which fits a bit better in their current lifestyle and then take that, them on that journey so that eventually they eat in a very flexible manner based on what's available But it's quite overwhelming for people who uh, um, eat the same thing, who don't cook, to do that big jump. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. And those who are time short or yeah. don't... It's even good to encourage people to cook in some places because some people are so time short that yeah. even cooking a meal at night is... Yeah an overwhelming mm. option mm. so it's definitely a challenge and a journey but you guys have achieved so much in six years that I'm sure in the next six years <laughs> it's gonna be very very exciting so I always ask this last question um it's one of my favorite questions to ask and it's about food but it's not about the company or anything it's about you so what would be your last meal so starter main course and dessert what would it be for you okay so it's quite a hard question yeah so i love uh, dim sum so i would say maybe some dim sum as a starter yeah um then um some probably some uh pad thai uh, oh, yeah <laughs> as uh, uh as a main and then um desserts um maybe a cheesecake oh yeah nice good one that's a good no one's actually said those three combinations i love getting a always get a variety of answers <laughs> but dim sum pad thai and cheesecake that's a good one well thank you so much for sparing the time i know you're so busy but thank you for coming here today i found it so interesting i'm a massive oddbox lover i've mentioned oddbox on this podcast so many times because i just think it's a genius concept and one that people should get involved with a lot more because it's just so great so thank you so much and thanks a lot for having me georgia and uh, kind of really looking forward to uh, our greedy vegan evolves as well yeah no i'm excited too but thank you thank you Thank you guys so much for listening. I really loved hearing the Oddbox story. I've been a huge Oddbox fan for such a long time. So for me, this was super exciting and interesting. If you're listening to this and thinking that you really want to get involved in the Oddbox journey, please do it. Sign up, join the revolution and start saving all of these delicious but slightly imperfect fruit and vegetables. You honestly won't regret it. But thanks again and see you next week. Thank you.